Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. We are up to episode 16. Uh, and I want to make this one another lighter side episode as um, things were getting intense over the last month um, with all of the stuff going on with ISIS and everything else and and CIA reports and Ferguson. And so let's lighten the mood up a little bit. And I want to make this one about Christmas toys and just toys in general. I mean, I'm, I'm tying it to Christmas because it's right around the corner. And I was sitting down thinking about some of the all-time great toys I've received over the years when I was a kid. Um, some of my favorites in comparison to what may be out there now and, you know, what I was doing as a kid. Toys I never got um, that a lot of kids would get. And just kind of get into, you know, maybe reminiscing. Um, and you can send me messages on toys that you had and, and how things have changed over the years with maybe what you're getting kids or nephews. Um, but as a kid growing up, uh, we tended to really play outside a lot. Um, you know, we, we were very much get home from school, get out of your uniform run outside and play. Uh, we had in Hackensack, there was Columbus Park, which was about five or six blocks um, away. A nice walk for a young kid. Um, there was another rec field later on closer to our school where we used to play all the time. But basically with stickball, football, you know, everyone would go outside and play. Then there was, you know, tag and, and, and whatever else our imagination can run with. With regards to toys and stuff, we were playing inside. Um, my big thing as, as a kid that I remember uh, were the original GI Joes. And, you know, we're, we're, I'm talking about the action figure dolls that were, you know, about a, a foot tall. Um, there was the Kung Fu grip. There was the hands that were kind of molded. And it's funny, if, if you have one of these GI Joe dolls, the one thing that you'll realize if you kept them in storage they kind of disintegrate over time. I mean, their head pops off, the rubber band gives. Um, they had Some of them had the plastic hair. Others had um, actual fake hair that was put in that would fall out. There was the eagle-eyed G.I. Joe that you could look through the back of his head. There was a vision thing that you could see. Um, there was a cord you would pull on their neck, and they would say things like one for all and all for one. Um, but the, the G.I. Joe thing was um, that was really the boys version of the Barbie doll. And that was a big thing for me. And I remember um, stacking beer boxes and, and actually tying them together. Or, you know, I, I don't know if I used crazy glue or like zip ties and, and kind of turned it into a, a stacked barracks. And I would use uh, shoe box covers as a bunk and, and turn it into a bed. Um, and, and that was kind of like, you know, again, there, there was no Barbie house for GI Joe's. There was no like GI Joe barracks, but GI Joe's was definitely a big thing for me. And, and looking back, you know what? I was very big into the, the whole army men scene. Um, I, I had the green army men. I had German soldiers, Japanese soldiers, and, and, you know, my thing was in our bedroom, uh, we, we lived over a bakery. So the, the one bedroom that me and my brother shared 
was almost set up like an army barrack. It was from left to right. There was a bed, a dresser, a bed, a night table, a bed, and then a, a side-by-side drawer dresser uh, with a mirror. So that was one room. And what I would do is I would take out the, the board, the wooden board under the bed, and bridge between the two beds. So the first bed to the, the middle bed, and then the middle bed to the last bed, and, and kind of have each bed act as a territory. You know, one was where the Americans gathered to attack the Germans, and they had to cross another bridge. And I was very big into making sure at the end of the day I would keep tally of, you know, who lost men and put them in a separate pile and kind of pick up the game where it left off. And I guess that was the first non-video game Call of Duty (laughs) as a kid was kind of setting it up that way. But, you know, it was a lot. There was a lot left to the imagination. Um, When it came to video games, I didn't have Atari as a kid. Um, we we that was not something my my parents. We had one TV in the house, so that was the TV that we all kind of gathered around and watched TV at night. So to set up a video game on that, that wasn't going to happen because when when were you going to play the video game? So I was not an Atari kid. I was more of an action figure thing, um, into the GI Joes, into the the soldiers. Uh, the other thing I, I remember getting as a kid, I guess I was about eight years old, was the superheroes came out um, with little action figures. I guess they were about maybe, I don't know, six to eight inches. And they had um, the, the, the costumes that were made of like material. It wasn't like it was just a plastic figure with a plastic you know, cape or whatever. And I remember one Christmas, I, I think I got all of them. Batman, Robin, Aquaman. In fact, I got the the Batcave that came with it. I don't know if if any of you are, are products of the '70s and you remember that, but superheroes were a big deal when I was a kid. Comic books were huge. Um, a friend of mine I grew up with was big into the comic books. I never got them because I never felt like I had to because he had them all. So I would go over his house after school and we would read comic books by him. But, you know, that was superheroes was a a huge thing. I'm trying to think of some of the others. Oh, I remember one year getting this uh, a Christmas gift called Earthquake Tower. And I wonder if anyone would even consider post 9-11 coming up with such a thing. But what this was was an actual building that stacked together. And it had like an elevator on the outside and it came with fire trucks. And then there was a button you would press on the outside of this building that would shake and rattle the building, simulating an earthquake and the building collapsing. And then the fire trucks would come. And it was basically an emergency rescue game. Because when I was growing up as a kid, there was a show on TV called Emergency. Um, And there was, you know, a, a very popular show. So maybe this was kind of simulating that. I don't remember, but um, Earthquake Tower was another gift I remember getting as a kid that I thought to myself, wow, I, w- I wonder if that would even come about uh, in this day and age. Not that someone would come up with Earthquake Tower, but even a video game version of that. Um, then, of course, 1978, everything really changed with Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars came out in 77. Then the action figures came out, and I was... A Starwood, Star Wars geek from Go. 
Um, I must have seen Star Wars Episode Four as a kid. Uh, we had a movie theater near the Johnson Public Library on Main Street in Hackensack. At the time, it was the Oritani Movie Theater. Um, it's now a strip club, which is kind of funny considering every week when we, you know, if we would go down to the library, I would sneak out of the library and sneak into the movie theater. Back then, it was pretty easy to sneak into a movie theater. You'd wait for people coming out the back door, sneak in. And I think the ushers saw that we were kids and kind of let us get away with it. Um, But I saw Star Wars, I want to say it was something crazy, like 13 times as a kid. I would keep sneaking in the movie theater every chance I get to watch Star Wars. And back then, movies would stay in theaters for as long as people were going. And I think Star Wars had to have a good 14-month run in movie theaters. Um, I'm not even kidding. I, 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 don't, I didn't look it up. I want to do this one off the top of my head. I just want to riff on this one. But I, you know, if you can confirm it or look it up and tell me I'm wrong, I, I believe Star Wars Episode Four, the first one, was in theaters for that long of a time because I remember going and breaking into the theater seemed like every weekend whenever we would make our way down to the Johnson Public Library. And, uh, you know, it was just my thing to do was go see Star Wars. I was a huge Star Wars head. And, you know, then it became collect the action figures. And in going through some of uh, the stuff in my parents' house, um, my brother Mario did a purging when we moved from Hackensack to Paramus and threw out so many of our toys. I mean, he I, I don't know if he just didn't want to pack things and move them or what happened, but he threw out a ton of stuff. The Star Wars action figures seemed to survive, and I, I found in a box the Death Star. I found uh, an X-Wing, what the remains of an X-Wing fighter, a TIE fighter. Um, never had the Millennium Falcon, but I, I had a ton of figures, and, and the Star Wars action figures was a huge thing for me as a kid. Um, with regards to electronics, you know, when I was a kid, again, I didn't do the Atari thing. I want to say the closest thing I came to video games was the handheld games that came out. I think Mattel came out with the electronic football I had electronic quarterback which was unbelievable that there was passing on this handheld game and when I tell you what the players were you're not going to believe it they were actually a, a line it was a straight line the players were a dash on this tiny screen that you would play electronic football uh, on the the Mattel I think the Mattel one was a green one you could only run the ball that was the only option and you would kind of toggle your guy up and down, waiting for defenders to move and kind of create a space, and you would try to run through them. Um, electronic quarterback actually had a pass option, um, and the ball was a dot, uh, and you would try to throw the ball. And I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I remember loving the electronic football game. Then there was um, – the electronic baseball came out, and I had that, and it was a video. It was a handheld game that was built in the shape of a stadium, and you could pitch when you were on defense, and the batter would try to hit, and you could throw a ball out of the strike zone or, or throw a strike, and there was different levels. And again, you're talking literally looking at what looked to be a baseball field with dots. The ball was coming at you as a dot, and it was just light bulbs that would light up. Um 
But I remember that was that was really our video games until maybe the early '80s when the first miniature version of a tabletop Pac-Man game came out. And when I say a tabletop version, I'm talking this was shrink the arcade game down to about eight inches high by five inches by five inches. Uh, that's how big of a, a video game this was. So picture like a, a literally a desktop arcade game. Um, and that was, you know, Pac-Man. And I think I got one year Pac-Man and maybe another year Donkey Kong. And these were my video games growing up. And, and that was the closest I game because, like I said, I never had um, Atari. It wasn't something that we did in my house. Then we got into the more advanced toys that I'm going to say was when things started to get um, fun. And that was the Tyco, I guess they're called slot cars, but basically it was a racetrack um, that you would put your car on a, a slot, a groove, and you had this handheld thing. It was like a, a little pistol trigger, and you can control how fast the car went around the track. And, you know, you can count the laps, and sure enough, uh, the cars, you know, if you went around the track too fast, the car would go flying off the track, um, and you'd have to grab it and, and put it back on the track. If you ever watch the, the movie Slapshot, um, you'll see that the Hanson brothers play with these cars. And the, the one I had, I think, was Tyco. And it had uh, rails that you could put around that were glow-in-the-dark. And that was the big thing, the, the Tyco Night Glow. The other racing series, I think one was Aurora, and then was there was another one that was maybe, oh God, I want to say AFX, but I, the, I had the Tyco, and I remember the Tyco because it, it was the only one that you can change lanes, and somehow, somewhere, you can like hit a button in the controller, in the back part of the controller, that could cause you to switch lanes from one lane to another so you can cut the person off and kind of race in front of them. Um, and I remember Total Control Racing was the whole thing about Tyco. But that was a, a big favorite because that's when you could really start interacting with other people in your games. Because when you're playing with action figures, you know, what's the most you could really do? Um, but that's when it started getting to be more competitive. Um, then there was just absolutely useless toys that I remember getting... As a kid, there was a something called a Stretch Armstrong. And this was nothing more than a doll, a plastic doll filled with like this weird type of goo jelly thing. And all Stretch Armstrong did was you would pull it apart so that his arms and legs would stretch. You would let it go, and it would go back to its original shape. And that was literally what Stretch Armstrong did. That was the extent of it. <laughs> And this was a doll that you would give a kid as a gift, a Christmas gift. This was a toy growing up in the 70s, Stretch Armstrong. The the other ridiculous stuff I remember getting was there's a, there was a series of toys called Super Jock. And what Super Jock was, if you had a, a for example, the football version was nothing more than a field goal kicker. And it was a, a plastic um, think of like a nutcracker, but made of plastic, and you could press on its head. And by pressing on its head, you would force a leg motion that would kick 
it's leg forward. And what you would do is you would place a football on a stand, tiny little football on a stand in front of the leg, hit the top of the head, and I would send the football flying, and it would give you a goal post, and you would try to kick the ball through the goal post. And this was yet another game. And I don't know how many times you could kick a field goal before you were bored out of your mind, but as a kid growing up in the 70s, I, these, were, these were the games we played. These were the toys that we got for Christmas. This was the stuff you look forward to. I mean, stretching a doll and then watching it go back to its original shape. Um, there was the super jock basketball that the, the ball would be, uh, it was basically nothing more than a free throw. And you would you know position the ball in the guy's hand. You'd hit its head and the ball would launch. And they gave you a miniature basket, and you try to how to score, and you had to try to score. But I mean, it wasn't like you could play against each other. The first version of that that you could play against each other was something called Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and these were two robots in a boxing ring, and on each end, in each corner, there was controls that you would press with your thumbs, and that would make the robots throw right and left punches and if you hit your opponent's robot just the right way its head would pop up and you won the fight um but again the the toys from the 70s and we would go nuts over rock'em sock'em robots again i had a friend who had rock'em sock'em robots and we would just have tournaments um over their house on a rainy day when we weren't playing outside this is the stuff we would amuse ourselves with inside um thinking back i i also remember having a what's something called a Viewmaster as a kid. And what a Viewmaster was, it was, like, it was like a pair of binoculars that you would look into and you would slide around the disc, which was held nothing more than what would be negatives from a, a picture. You know, and if, if you're listening and you're saying to yourself, what the hell is a negative from a picture if you're a young person? Back in the day before cell phones and digital cameras, um, you had cameras that developed film. And the film that you would get out of the camera was a negative. And if you looked at a negative, it was the color image of what would eventually wind up on paper. And these negatives were compiled on a round disk, very small. You would put it into this viewfinder, and there was a handle on the side of the viewfinder uh, the viewfinder that you would slide down, which would rotate the disc. And the amazing thing about a viewfinder was the images on these negatives. When you look through the viewfinder were three dimensional. And this was the coolest thing ever. And each disc told a different story. So you would put it in on number one and it was basically slide by slide watching a story. So this was probably the first version of a video or visual comic book. And it was in a viewfinder. And I remember I had the Charlie Brown um, discs. That was the big thing for me. I had the, the Charlie Brown, the Peanuts, uh, the Snoopy discs, and all the different viewfinders from there. And that was, uh, that was definitely one of the favorites I had. Then there were the, the things that I never really got into that a lot of other people did. Um, I never owned a Mr. Potato Head. Was never given a Mr. Potato Head as a kid. Uh, got to tell you, it never upset me. Did not like Mr. Potato Head. Didn't get Mr. Potato Head. Uh, was not something that 
you know, whenever a friend had it, I had any interest in playing with. Um, the other thing as a kid I didn't get was the Transformers. Um, that was just getting to be big in my early teen years. Never got into it. Um, another toy that was huge in my childhood, again, that I never gravitated to, and some kids lived and died by them, was Matchbox cars. Oh, my God. There were kids that collected Matchbox cars by, like, the hundreds, and they were just obsessed. They had little suitcases that you would put Matchbox cars in, and I never understood the fascination with Matchbox cars. It was not my thing. Um, a toy that has existed through the ages and is still huge today that I never got into, never asked for, never wanted, Legos. I am not a Lego person. I was never a Lego head. Um, still don't get it to this day. When I see somebody put something together out of Legos, I think it's amazing. I think it's great to have that kind of patience. I wasn't a Lego person. But then again, I wasn't really a puzzle person. Like it, back in, when you, in the day of jigsaw puzzles, you know, 100-piece, 5,000-piece. Some, some kids could just sit and work on a puzzle for weeks, and that was not my thing. Um, I was, I guess, too busy creating wars on, on, in my bedroom, <laughs> going from bed to bed, trying to conquer um, different territories. Um, never had an Etch-A-Sketch. No interest in it. Again, not a toy that I wanted, not something I asked for. Um, Lincoln Logs, uh, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Lincoln Logs. There was another thing um, where you would get like these metal things and, and and create bridges and all kinds of stuff. Oh, what the hell were they called? Ah, uh, can't remember. Can't remember the name. But I, again, not into that. Um, erector sets. That was it. Erector sets. Was not an erector set person. Never got the remote control cars. See, then there were things I kind of wanted but never got. Um, remote control cars were a big thing. I think that from even when I was a kid to this day, that's a big Radio Shack thing. Um, and I guess in my in my town where we lived, there really wasn't that open area. It was, it was kind of urban to play with a remote control car. And, and even if you did have one, again, if you were playing outside it, when I was growing up in the 70s, you played at a park with other kids. You didn't just kind of walk around with a remote control car. Um, we didn't have like dead end streets in my neighborhood. So if you took a remote control car on the street, you were gonna, it was going to get run over along with you. Um, again, not a big thing. Uh, the, the, I would say there was two things I didn't get as a kid. And it's maybe why I collect them now. Kind of this Freudian thing. Um, not, did not grow up a New York Jets fan. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But every year I saw the commercial for the Hess truck. And I, I, I never made a Christmas list. I never gave my parents a Christmas list. My brothers, I think, would ask me what I wanted. And I would just tell them. And, and they would kind of gear my parents towards what to get me. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if my parents gave my brothers the money and they went out Christmas shopping for me. Um, but I you know, never asked for a Hess truck. Always wanted one as a kid. And it wasn't until my adult life I started every year buying a Hess truck. And I don't open them. I just keep them somewhere. I don't even know why I'm collecting them. Um, maybe I'm a hoarder. I'm a Hess truck hoarder. Um, but that's, you know, one of those things. 
Um, I never got as a kid. Now here in my adult life, here I am collecting them. Another thing that my brother had, my oldest brother had as a kid, um, but we never had the room to put together was Lionel trains and more towards the O series and the O 27 gauge, which is the bigger ones. They had the H O series, which were the small ones. Um, but I, I loved Lionel trains. Unfortunately, we didn't have anywhere to put them, the place to put them. Um, but my brother had really cool ones that I think since my, my, my cousin kind of, you know, we, we, we handed them to him. He wanted to clean them. And I think he's since confiscated them or whatever. But I then, again, in my adult years and still don't have the space to really do a nice train la- layout. Um, again, the collector side of me, this hoarder side of me, I started collecting Lionel trains over the years. And, and they're still in their boxes. Uh, my line of preference is Union Pacific. Don't ask me why. Just gravitate towards Union Pacific line. Um, we'll go out once a year. There's a couple of really good hobby stores around the, the Bergen County, Passaic County area. There's Walker's Hardware out in Totowa. There's another really good one in North Bergen. Um, the guy who owns his name is Pentafalo. It's got a little cafe in the front. And then in the back, he's got just all kinds of Lionel trains. Um, there's a new hobby store that opened up in River Edge I'm going to check out. But I, a fan of the Lionel trains, again, would love to set it up. But I'm a, I'm a lunatic. If, I'm gonna, if I start working on a hobby, I will become obsessed with it. I, I will be building a landscape like no other, um, which is probably a good thing right now because I don't have any time to get into a train hobby. Um, but those were the two as a kid I, I never had and, and later got into. Um, and then there were my two all-time favorite toys ever. These were by far uh, the things as a kid that I coveted. One of them that I would call number two, my second favorite, was um, the table hockey where you could move the players up and down. So you had a goalie that there was the handle on the control on the side. They originally started off as just flat players, stickers on a flat kind of disc that you could spin around. Um, And you had the goalie, you had the two defensemen on the one end of the ice, and you would defend against a winger, two wingers, and a center. And then when when the puck traveled to the other end, you had your center, two wingers against their defenseman and their um, goalie. And basically, there was this little black puck that you would try to pass from player to player and try to shoot past the opponent's goalie. Um, I know that there's still the, the tabletop version of these things in certain arcades. There was a miniature golf place years ago in, in Elmwood Park, New Jersey, and again, in Bergen County. And they had the USA-Russia one, that there was a, a plastic dome over the top. You'd drop in a couple quarters. It would play the last couple bars to the Star Spangled Banner. The puck would either drop out of the ceiling or fire out of the middle. And, you know, you would play this table version in, in different arcades. I dominated that game. Um, it was in my family. We would play tournaments and I'm telling you, from the moment I owned that game as a kid to playing it in video card arcades, if I lost once, 
that's probably the most I've ever lost at that game. That That's how obsessed I was with that game, that when no one was home, I would practice passing the, the puck from player to player. That's how just incredibly insane I was over that game. And I want to say the first version I had of it was the flat players, again, the stickers. And I think it was the Detroit Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't even ask me why. But those were the two teams and the decals and the stickers that they had on. The second version of the game was the players were molded. And they had little metal hockey sticks. And this was more of an international look to it. And the big thing about this version of the game was the goalie could go behind the net and get the puck if it got stuck behind the net. Because the big thing with this game was the puck would actually get stuck in different places. And um, at times you would have to kind of help the puck along. So that was a, a big thing about this game. But that was probably one of my favorite. That was definitely number two on the list of favorite games. And I just loved it and dominated at it. Maybe that's why I loved it so much. But my all-time, without a doubt, favorite toy game to have as a kid was the original Puff Basketball. I loved Puff Basketball. And back then, Puff Basketball, what it was, was um, a, a clip that would connect to the dot top of a door. And connected to this clip was a rim, a basketball rim. And between the clip and the rim was a cardboard backboard. Um, you're not talking about any type of durable cardboard by any means. Uh, this was just a regular piece of cardboard. Any box that you get, that type of cardboard, that's about as durable as it was. And the, the puff basketball was about the size of a volleyball, maybe a little bit smaller than a volleyball, and it was a sponge. It was a perfectly round sponge, and it had the basketball lines on it, and the net was plastic, and I got to tell you, I loved puff basketball. I would play puff basketball in my house for hours. We had um, a tiny den, and the den was, it was like a perfectly square room, and it had two doors. It had the door that you walked in to the den that when you opened it all the way would kind of wind up in a corner so that the door wouldn't swing all the way to a wall. It kind of backed up so that there was a, a corner diamond. And that's where I put the puff basketball net. And along the one wall where the door opened to so that it opened into the room, there was a couch, um, night table in the corner, then Going across on the wall opposite of the door you walked in was there was a window. In the opposite corner from the door where the door made the kind of triangle, in the opposite corner was where we had our TV. Then on the wall across from the couch, I think there was just maybe like a plant. I don't even know if we had a chair on that wall. And then on the wall opposite of the window was another chair. Um, if... All of us were in the room at the same time. You could probably fit three of us on a couch, one on a chair. Oh, then there was an ottoman that went with the chair. So somebody could sit on the ottoman. Somebody was sitting on the floor. If 
Everybody, if all six of us were watching TV at the same time, somebody had to sit on the floor. Usually my brother Joe would lay on the floor in front of the TV. Um, but that that's the size of this room. It was not a big room by any means, but big enough for me to play some of the more epic puff basketball games you will ever imagine in your life. And I would normally play by myself. Um, I would pick two random NBA teams and try to play as fair a game as possible where if I made a shot, that team scored. If I missed a shot, you know, unless I could get a quick rebound and tip it in, it was the other team's ball. And I'm telling you, I played for hours, hours on end. Um, I was such a huge puff basketball head. And my brothers every now and then would challenge me. And they were, you know, my brother Mario towered over me. Um, my brother Joe was taller. I mean, there was no way I could beat him. My brother, one brother was 10 years older. My other brother is 12 years older. I was, you know, nine years old. And my brothers took no mercy on me. They would beat me any chance they got. And I'm here to admit as a grown man, 45 years old, I cried my eyes out when I lost the game of puff basketball to my brothers. It was devastating for me because I would practice for hours and just it never dawned on me how much bigger they were and how impossible it was. And I remember my brother Mario being mad at my brother Joe for not letting me win and challenging him to a game. And my brother Mario made a point of beating my brother Joe, but in so doing, he dunked the ball on my brother Joe and he broke my puff basketball. He bent the rim, the cardboard ripped, and it was the most traumatic thing I ever went through in my life. And I just cried my eyes out until it it took like a couple of weeks. My mother refused to get me another one because (laughs) the game created too many fights between us as brothers. So there was no way in hell she was getting another game. Uh, another puff basketball for us. And I literally saved up my money and eventually gave my brother the money and said, you got to do me a favor. You have to buy me a puff basketball. And I want to say it was maybe $12. It was like $11.99 at Toys R Us. Um, But I remember saving my money from whatever I could save money from. I would work in the store, get a couple bucks here, get a couple bucks there, birthday, whatever. And I eventually bought my next Puff Basketball, and it was the happiest day of my life. Um, but that was my game as a kid. And it was funny, when we moved to Paramus, I lived in a cul-de-sac, uh, and we had the only house on the cul-de-sac. Uh, it was a new development, and for years we had the only house there. My my dad put in a, a basketball pole, um, and we put up a basketball net, and Puff basketball went from outside, from inside to outside. And I would shoot baskets for hours in this cul-de-sac growing up. Because when we moved from Hackensack to Paramus, I didn't go to Hackensack High School. I went to Paramus Catholic, knew nobody in the town of Paramus, knew nobody from Paramus Catholic, and would spend hours on end playing basketball outside. I know this sounds depressing, like I was this kid who played by himself, but I actually had friends growing up in Hackensack. And we used to play all the time. Uh, When I moved to Paramus, it was very different. But that was probably my all-time favorite toy, puff basketball. And I think I've had a puff basketball or a version of a puff basketball net backboard setup in my room until I went to college. (laughs) That's how crazy I was about this game. Um, 
So I'm sure everyone has some type of childhood memory of a toy. Maybe there's still something you collect uh, over the years. Like I, I, you know, went back to my childhood with Lionel trains and said, you know what? I'm old enough. I have money. I'm going to collect these trains and, and I have, you know, box cars and, and all kinds of stuff. Not set up, but just collecting the Hess trucks. Um, by all means, email me, message me. Let me know what your toy of choice is. Let me know what it was that you grew up playing. I know this was very male-oriented because, you know, listen, I'm a guy. These were the toys I played with. I'm sure, you know, girls had their toys, Barbies or whatever, um, My Little Pony, whatever was out there. But I I felt this would be a nice change in diversion uh, from the usual stuff that we've been talking about. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, something different. Change the mood a little bit. I will get back into other stuff and topics going on in the news and future podcasts. Please send me suggestions on topics you would like me to cover, whether it's because of my law degree, my judicial background, um, comedy. Um, I think I want to get into some of the comedy stuff. Someone sent me an email um, saying, hey, what, what are some of the shows that stand out in your mind um, as you performed as a comedian? And rather than do that, maybe I'll get into, as I did the toys, TV shows growing up over the years, what I watched as a kid, and maybe how it molded me and affected me in getting into entertainment, wanting to be an actor and a comedian. So maybe that's where I'll go with the next podcast. Um, Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Vince August, episode 16, the toys I grew up with, all-time favorite toys, toys I never had, the Freudian episode analyze me all you want um but that's my childhood everybody enjoy thanks for listening